For the newly indoctrinated, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files follows the story of a professional wizard in Chicago. We started our podcast as a way to help break down the series' most important moments, characters, and lore. This is McAnally's Dresden Files podcast by Free Flow Rambling. Conjure by it at your own risk. Welcome to the McAnally's podcast brought to you by Free Flow Rambling. This is episode 5.13, Dressed for Success. My name is Tanzan, and I am joined by Jess. Hello. Maggie is still away. We have a brand new guest recording remotely. Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. Hi, how you doing? Good. Matt is one of our Patreons and is super active on our Discord. Yeah, it turns out if you're a big enough fan, they just give you the backstage passes, and here I am. <laughs> or very easy. <laughs> <laughs> it pays to be a Patreon and a Discord member. Yep. <laughs> and to always be on our socials. Hey. And to never leave you alone. <laughs> Yay. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the Dresden Files. So I'm a high school uh, physics and astronomy teacher. It's super fun. I've been into Dresden Files almost since the beginning. Uh, I was working at a Borders bookstore back in the early 2000s. And one of my coworkers, and who's a fairly close friend now, recommended the books to me right about the time Death Masks was out. And so I've been into it ever since. Okay, okay. That's pretty nice. Right early on, too. And is your friend super jealous now? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, we'll find out when this podcast comes out. <laughs> yeah. Just a heads up that starting this week, we'll be uploading our podcast to YouTube. We'll be posting one episode a day, Monday to Friday, until we're all caught up. Which will be roughly early December. Woo-hoo. So yeah, find us on YouTube. Come on down to McNally's Pub. Enjoy our Tuesday special, 4.30 to close. An enigma wrapped in a mystery served on a bed of lettuce for $3.99 with purchase of drink. Get an additional 20% off on Wishes Sabbaths. Chapter 27. Harry comes to Susan. She tends to his wounds and cleans him up. The two share an intimate moment. Susan presents him with a leather duster as they prepare for the upcoming battle. So chapter 27. Can we just start with that leather coat? (laughs) (laughs) No. It's nice though, hey? Yeah. Like in my mind, this is the point when Harry actually becomes Harry Dresden Wizard. Ooh. I think that's fair. And even from a gift from a friend helps add on to that. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, we it's not the that. leather coat we see in later books, but it is. But still, that it's still was the like style. OG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time he has to pull out the canvas one, I'm like, you're in a bathrobe, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we have a theme here to stick to. Exactly. Yeah, right around the beginning of this chapter, Harry mentions talking about when he saw first soul gaze Susan. And he mentions, you know, it was a year earlier. So I think that he probably must have probably happened around the same time that both Marcone and Monica maybe got a soul gaze. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, maybe even before them. So, it's been a while, but that seems to have been a moment when Harry was just like soul gazing everyone or something like that, despite how, I don't know, sacred or something. Maybe I guess every single time that it takes a toll on your psyche, which is not going to be good in the long term. Right? And yet it seemed like there was a minute there when it was just like, who are you? Show me your so eyes. everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess, you know, kind of like young wizard fresh on the town. Was it coming out of that warehouse uh, Parker was chasing out of the warehouse and he sold case Parker just to get him out of the way? 
<laughs> just stop him cold in his tracks. He even said he's like one time it made Susan vomit, burst into tears, faint, mm-hmm. faint. fainted. That's yeah. what it was. So he's just like now he uses it as superpower. Like people yeah. don't like what they see. I keep taking these on. Yeah, that's good for your ego, your self morale. I have a technical imprint of the psyches of like fourteen hundred people in my head right now. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, that's not a very fair fair trade for for people he soul gazes with. He, he gets to see, you know, like for with Susan that she's got very passionate, passionate, motivated, and determined. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and Susan gets to see something that horrifies her to the point that she passes out. <laughs> oh, other people run away screaming. <laughs> see, he says in that sentence too that like Susan is determined, extremely passionate to make people see the truth. And it made me really wonder, like, what about Susan's backstory or something that made her that way? Because, quite frankly, this is a bit of a spoiler, but we never get Susan's backstory. Oh, we don't. Yeah, a lot true. happens she to Susan is. going forward. But, yeah, she just is. And I feel like there was this, like, kind of a line that was maybe supposed to become something and never did. Because it's like, he says right now, like, Susan is so passionate. She's very determined to make people see the truth. But we never figure out why, what made her like that. Yeah, because there's not a lot of throwaway lines with, with Butcher. He right? really just plans quite a lot of it out. So, so I'm so curious about like maybe like you know Susan's character took on a life of its own he went in a different direction with her or if maybe something is still coming like I'm just not sure I can't trust this man. <laughs> yeah based on what I've heard from talks that he's given it sounds like he really didn't have a big plan for Susan he just needed a love interest for Harry in the early books and then just mm-hmm. figured it out as he went. So even then I could see yeah like he had had a different plan and then something 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 happened and a right. new idea grew from there. Yep. And then yeah, future I, books. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> she, I, I mean, the line really works for future Susan. Yes. It just doesn't make sense for Susan right now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But of course, if we're going with my time traveling theory and this is Harry from the future, <laughs> then maybe that's why it all worked out in the end. <laughs> there you go. Everything, every plot hole is resolved by time travel. Right? <laughs> and I'm determined to pr- prove it. It works yes. for me. Ignore the plot holes that time travel invariably creates. <laughs> Have you seen Loki yet? Clearly, yes. it all works out. Yeah, in some way or another. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see I would love to see a future along. book. Harry just gets pruned by the TVA for something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's got no choice but to happen. The White Council mm-hmm. has already threatened it. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if the White Council has their own version of the TVA. That is the TVA. <laughs> there you go. Or if Ebenezer just is the TVA. He <laughs> just goes by another title. <laughs> So Susan implores Harry not to go, uh, but Harry says he can't because of Denton. And we get a line about how um, how if they do try to leave or whatever, Denton's going to hunt him down. But it occurred to me reading this that Harry's got nothing in the tank, right? He's completely gassed out. He's got to know in his head that if he just takes a night to sleep and comes after Denton tomorrow, that he'll be in much better shape. And he's always talking about how much better wizards are when they have the chance to plan. But um, And then... Really, only possibly McFinn and Marcone that he knows of at this point are at risk because of it if he takes the extra night. But it just seems like that's just not even something he considers. It's so true. He always says wizards are better when they plan. And then he's like, anyways, I went in there straight ahead without thinking about any of it. It's like 12 books before we get any hint of a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I got the impression that he was afraid that the magic wasn't going to come back. So maybe that's why mm-hmm. he's just like, let's just go forward with this because I don't know if this, if, if I've done permanent damage here. 
I could see to a point. It's almost like when your phone, you accidentally drop it in water and then you're afraid to let it die. It gets down to like mm-hmm. 3%. And you're like, I've got to charge it. If it ever turns off, it'll never turn back on. <laughs> right. But at the same time, like, I think this was more a little bit like Tara West imploring him. Like, McFinn's not going to live through the night. And if you don't help me, then you're dealing with me tomorrow as well. Right. Yeah, definitely Tara West wasn't going to let him sit that one out, but... Exactly, yeah. So, I, yeah, I agree. And um, obviously, Matt, you haven't been able to hear this episode, but the last one we were just recording, we went on about, just take a minute, nap, don't waste so much time, but at the same time... Or at least get a cup of coffee. Just anything, you know? He did just have, like, that coffee potion, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to go that hard, but just <laughs> yeah. a real cup of coffee. Just a regular cup, yeah. Even, I mean, Susan gives him ibuprofen later in this chapter. I'm like, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, something. <laughs> Anything to numb the nerves. Like, Harry please. needs his drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this motion to, um, when Harry, obviously, is, you know, writing about Susan and how, like, gentle and amazing and, like, melted against me with a deliciously feminine sort of willingness and blah, blah, blah. And I was then again reminded that Harry writes all of this in the aftermath and I'm like oh you're such a poet like coming back to review this moment I had to say like that moment was really tastefully done because there's a lot of ways that 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 whole scene could have been presented it's a really nice like caretaking moment yeah especially with Harry's the way Harry normally describes women he's looking at when one's actually all over him it's very tasteful yeah (laughs) yeah well one so I've kind of said this before I've never reread Full Moon in my rereads I never liked how the animosity between Murph and Harry. So I'm like, it's not important. Okay. I'll skip over it. Mm-hmm. It's actually only the second time I've ever reread the book, despite other books having been read three or four times. Mm-hmm. Which means I only read this book when I was like 12 or 13 or something like that. I didn't realize this was a sex scene the first time I read it. <laughs> it was only now as an adult. I'm like, oh, I totally skipped over all of that. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't occur to me at all. Because I think like the only time I ever recalled... Harry and Susan getting it on was in a couple books later on, right? Right. With the very graphic one. The very graphic one, and we all know what results yeah. from everything that goes on from there, right? <laughs> but this is, a, I was like, oh no. They got it on in the second book, and I totally missed it. Like, it's not Harry's first sex, public sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I was 21 when I read that scene, and I still didn't register. Okay, there we go. <laughs> it's all good then. Yeah, it's really subtle. It is really super, subtle. yeah, totally. It, and I mean, like you said, it all flows together in the same sort of theme throughout the chapter of just this mm-hmm. caretaking, lovingly helpful very, Susan. Very delicate. Very totally, delicate. yeah. Even on, in, on, on his end, it's very delicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which in Harry's condition, everything's got to be delicate at that point, but... Yeah. Very fair. Which is his condition at this point in most books. Also very fair. There's also a moment, though, when Harry says, like, this whole, like, I'm a tough guy, like, just look at me, like, I'm a scary dude... But he's also, like, desperately doesn't want to look like his duplicate, right? Right. He's like, I don't look into mirrors, but I'm a scary guy. I don't want to be like that perfectly groomed, mantle-wearing, smug, whatever. But at the same time, look at me. That's totally me. Like, he has this really back-and-forth moment in this chapter. He's like, I'm tough, but then. I'm tough, but then. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's six foot nine, wears a leather coat. He always looks beat up and unshaven. I mean, that's going to be terrifying. (laughs) True, true. Frankly, if he cleaned up a little bit like his double, he'd probably be less scary. Very fair. Right. So there's a, a an interesting exchange between Dresden and Susan. Susan tells him, I don't know if I want to fall in love with you, Harry. I don't know if I could stand it. 
I opened my eyes and answered softly. I've never wanted to hurt you. I, I don't know what's right. I know what feels right, she said, and kissed me again, then started touching my forehead, lifting her head to study me with the gentle, compassionate eyes. You see so much pain. I just wanted to remind you that there was something else in this world. And Dresden cries at these words, and Susan holds him back. That was like such mm-hmm. a, like another part, beautiful part of the scene. Like it was very tender, and just like it's it's about time we see Dresden not get beat up so bad and have mm-hmm. something good happen. And a little bit also like break away from that. Like I don't let women see me weak because it scares them. Like. <laughs> He's kind of had that little bit of like, oh, I can't be weak in front of everyone. I've got to be whatever. Like, oh, like, yeah, these women are tough and hardcore. But like up until now, he's been a little bit like, Murph, you can't go in there. And she's like, um, yes, I can. I've got Kevlar and a gun. Leave me alone. Yeah, I was thinking about that scene when he just breaks down crying in her arms because I don't remember exactly how much of his backstory we have at this point. But if you look at what he's been through since um, Justin first picked him up, up until about now, He's been through quite a bit, and he hasn't had anybody to lean on. This is probably the first chance he's had to actually just let go with somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, uh, well, thus far, yeah, I mean, we know that after Justin, he did get another mentor for a brief time before he was able to go out on his mm-hmm. own. But even that wasn't, like, a loving relationship. It was just a mentor right. thing going on, right? So, yeah, I mean, this is basically his first time since Dad. Yeah, I don't imagine that other mentor being terribly affectionate with him. Mm-hmm. And his dad died when he was six years old, and he's, you know, in and around 25, give or take. So it's roughly 20 yeah. years of just go, go, go harshness, you know? Right. Yeah. Kind of an orphan syndrome. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it is a nice moment, and I like, I see in Tanzan's notes here, we both went, book title, book title, book title. <laughs> get rid of the apostrophe S, and there we go. It was a fool's moon. <gasps> he said it. He said the thing. The thing. I honestly, I looked up to see if there was such thing, such a thing as a fool's moon, but there, as, as far as I could find, there isn't. Mm-hmm. Like fool's gold, but on the moon, and it's in the sky. I don't know. It's not the real moon. It's a space station. <laughs> oh my god! This whole time he's on a secondary planet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that, he's on the mirror mirror side. That would explain all the werewolves. Mm. Yeah. True. <laughs> that would also so, explain the goatee. Yeah. It, also that. And now we get to Matt's uh, leather duster. <laughs> yeah. When that, I wonder when Susan had time to go back to his place, which in theory would have still been... Under police under presence and probably more so. <laughs> this man just like blew up a bomb in the police precinct. Right. And got an overnight bag for him. Yeah. You know, maybe he already had some clothes left over at hers. Oh, good Maybe, point. could've. Good point. Could've. Yeah. I mean, if you're Harry Dresden, you, you gotta have a little bolt hole stash, a little go bag. True, right? And I think the last time she saw him was when he was in those purple sweats. So I love that Susan was like, okay, first of all, absolutely not. <laughs> Second of all. <laughs> and then she went with the whole theme, too. We don't know what he left at her house, if we're going with that theory. But she was very much like, you're gonna be going to war today, and you're gonna look good doing it. <laughs> you're dressed all in black. Yeah, right? And it's very, like dark night sort of themes going on like go out there get them i found it interesting that dresden finds it empowering to be dressed by a woman okay because he he makes that comment like have you ever been dressed by a naked woman before Mm -hmm. it's very like he did use a certain word uh talk about girding your loins for battle i think that that is very much like the sort of olden day like viking like 
you know, help you put on your mantle and, like, brush your hair for you. Like, I think that was a little bit more of, like, a kingly sort of honor, you know? Right. A little bit of the uh, pampering back then that was. Yeah. Right. Maybe olden day, but I would still say that it was quite a masculine honor sort of bequeathing of, I don't know. I'm a yeah. little surprised that he didn't think of it as more vulnerable. But. Yeah, I guess and I guess in more modern day there might be more. Mm-hmm. But eh, you know. Harry's got enough on his plate. <laughs> Take what he can get. Yeah, let him have the privilege. Yep. And she was naked the whole time too. Of course. I think that extra helps the positive moment. <laughs> Reassurance. Yep. And then yes, and um it has not potentially been mentioned until now, but his birthday is almost soon. And as we will learn as the books progress, his birthday is Halloween, <laughs> October 31st, which is a couple of days after Jim Butcher's. Oh, is it? And I didn't know when his birthday was. Yeah, October 26th. Okay. <laughs> so, unfortunately, we will not post this episode on the birthday. It'll be a few days before. Well, maybe we can do a shout out on social no, media. This one's October 15th. Never mind. It'll be next episode that'll come out a few days before his birthday. Ah, ah okay. <laughs> it's time travel. Along with all of this and it being Harry's birthday coming up soon, they've got this big fight and who knows where Harry's clothes are. Susan has a gift for him. As we said at the beginning, it's this brand new leather duster. Beautiful, high quality craftsmanship. Susan walked around in it naked. This thing has all of the whistles and bells. and <laughs> I love that little moment that she says that she, she gets that little mischievous grin. Mm. And I walked around naked in it. <laughs> Dresden's like, okay, I'm wearing it now. Never taking yeah, it off. Yeah, right. If there was any question beforehand. And there's also this kind of, um, who was it? There's another character and now I can't think about it. But anyways, but Harry's very much like, but it's mine. That's mine. You can't have it because it's mine. Like, mm-hmm. it's my duster. It may not be perfect. It's my apartment. It's my car. Yep. I don't care if nobody else likes it, but these are my things. But the new duster, he's like, well, maybe I have yeah. a new my duster. Yep. This is mine now. Yeah. Yeah. So I like how even though majority of the time, even like there's a couple books later on when like, well, actually it happened several times, but occasionally people give him like this amazing car to drive around in. And he's like, the Beetle would have been better, but I guess this is nice. Yeah. But it's like, you know, even when he stays in other people's apartments and things like that, he's like, well, it's no basement underground wizard hideaway, but I guess I can sleep here. He does always find something to complain about. I know, right? Every luxury. And I, to a point, I'm almost like, I get it too. Like, sleeping in your own bed is better than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But I do enjoy how Harry's like, how instantly he adopts this leather duster and doesn't bitch about it. <laughs> he's like, okay, new duster. When do you think the last time Harry bought a new mattress was, though? Oh, never. Isn't he, like, just sleeping in the corner? Yeah. <laughs> the same one he had. Second hand, yeah. just like the rest of his furniture. I'm yep. sure when he got to Chicago, he bought everything secondhand when he got there, right? I doubt he even mm-hmm. brought a single piece of furniture with him. Yeah, that's true. So I'm sure, you know, the last time he bought a new mattress was probably a secondhand one that came with yeah. the apartment. When he first moved to Chicago, and it stays there for as long as he's got that apartment. <laughs> it absolutely does. <laughs> Springs are poking stays right there through as it. long as there's an apartment there. It gets replaced every time the place gets blown up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the, the uh, extent of when he replaces Only when he has to. Mm-hmm. And at that point, why would you buy new? On the couch. Well, right? I could even see the first time he 
uh, he stocked it. It could have been new, but after that, he's like, well, what's the point anymore? There's been zombie invasions. This right. is all spoilers. But there's been zombie invasions, and there's been fire, and there's been, like, blowing other fire. up there. There's, we've <laughs> already had fire. demon acid mm-hmm. spit. All over the couch, yeah. <laughs> right? But he's when still got that Chicago, couch. He's still got that he couch. He still has a couch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just avoid the acid Just don't sit in the middle. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A pre-built spot for Mouse later on. Mm-hmm. There you um, go. But yeah, no, he had no money when he came to Chicago either. So I, I kind of think that Harry's never ever had new furniture, with the exception of maybe like Justin Dumore and being all like, "Ooh, welcome, orphan, to this brand new space. It's all brand new and beautiful, just for you." But I imagine even when he went to his second mentor's, it was probably already a guest room there or something with yeah. the effect. Does that say when? Oh, we haven't come up to who is other not yet. We just know that. After the White Council didn't execute him. They're like, okay, but you're under supervision of this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then pretty much Harry only spent like two years with him. And once he was 18, he's like, okay, bye. This is America. Yeah. You can't keep me here. <laughs> and that mentor probably just put him up in his old kid's room in his old kid's bed. And Yeah, like, I'm sure, yeah. Like, it was nothing overly special. Okay, so. Brand new with leather duster. Harry's all down for, like we just said, Justin or... He does not used to brand new things probably since Justin at the very least. Even his dad was probably a pretty broke guy, you know? Traveling he magician, yeah. He was just traveling yeah. around, right? And then he was an orphan, so he's probably only had niceties with Justin overall, right? And even then... And uh, look at this. I don't that imagine... held against him? Yeah. I don't imagine that... Uh, I figure, like, Justin may have gotten some nice-looking stuff when he first moved in and then, like, never again got him anything new. True. After that, it would have been like, all right... You've, yeah. you've been sufficiently wowed. Now let me right. throw these baseballs at your face. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. And even if he was getting nice things, because I think to a certain degree, Justin was probably one of those people who were like, my house is filled with finery and nicery, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You're like, I only buy the best of the best. And even then, I think even if he'd extended that to uh, Harry, it would have been still one of the like, you know, at this point, who cares? Like, I'm being beaten up every day and learning about magic. Like, things don't matter anymore. Like, right. magic only matters kind mm-hmm. of indoctrination. Yeah. And imagine there could have been some shades of, uh, like, Faith Astor's parents where here's all these nice toys you can never play with because they have to stay looking nice in case CPS over comes over. Totally could be a thing like that, too. Right. Yep. So Harry puts the coat on and places the pentacle over his shirt. And finally becomes Harry Dresden. Yeah. Finally becomes Harry Dresden, yes. Uh-huh. I think that's a very interesting thing to say, though, because it is these first three books when he gets integrated into this world that he wasn't quite in because as much as he Mm -hmm. you know beforehand was advertising as like this man who walks both sides of the line it's obvious like the story starts here because well with the last book because this is when his life became interesting and something worth writing about you know yeah and so it's to that effect that i think it's very like interesting to see how he does morph into harry dresden the entity rather than just mortal man harry right guy who thinks he knows more than he does harry (laughs) he learns very quickly over the next several books how much he doesn't know oh totally i was actually uh we'll get to it in the next i I had it more as a comment for the next chapter but i was like i wish that this was almost like a video game where you could grab like level 20 harry and go through the first two books and stuff and see just how much more overpowered (laughs) he is because there's moments when he does things and it's just like so difficult for him. And you know, in like the last book, it's like he's sneezing these spells, you know, it just doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I wish it was like a video game where I could just go back totally overpowered yeah. just to really see the just difference see of yeah. what his I love that. You uh, do get a, change would be. Yeah, you do get a little bit, a little bit of that with some of the enemies he faces in the early books and how he's, um, it's not really he's just overpowering one of them. It's like he's facing 30 of them now. 
in true, later books. True. It is totally like that, yeah. And again, like I don't want to spoil, but like especially seeing Battleground comparing it to these early books and what right. what happens then and there, and it's like mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene in Peace Talks too, and we won't get too into it, but he just manages to silence like an entire room just by yelling at them, right? Mm-hmm. And he does this like little bit of a showmanship magic against like whatever fairies pissed him off, right? And it's like, oh, right. Like in yes. the first book, that would have been like full maximum power. You're yeah. gone for the Head day, <laughs> and you did yeah. it just as like a light show to get everyone to shut up like <laughs> yeah, yeah I see these books more as his, his arrogant phase like where he's yeah. he's sort mm-hmm. of shedding that youthful arrogance and again as we've also brought up before is that most wizards will not live their lifetime like Harry does like we had this conversation with uh, I guess Michael about whether or not these spells you would have to change them up every few years due to how familiar you get to using them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we basically agreed that like Harry would be kind of like one of the only wizards who would have to do that because he's the only one who's using his magic as often, you know, like most right. other wizards are not going to this battle every single day like Harry is, you know, most of them live up in their towers all day, every day, you know, so yeah. it is especially to that point where it's like, you know, arrogant Harry. I mean, most wizards would be arrogant because to most wizards, Harry does know a lot more, right? If Harry had just right. gotten his tower in the middle of nowhere... He already would be smarter than most random people, right? Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, thrown into the muck like he is and going up against people like he is, we get to see it a lot more. It's like, yeah, you are an idiot and you don't know anything. <laughs> right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now he's basically the recent college graduate, not even PhD, but just like recent, I graduated college, now I know everything. Oh, crap, this is what things are actually like. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. I had a thought too earlier. Oh, my gosh. I had a thought, too, earlier on about what it would be like if uh, Marcone had Tara West. That's just what that conversation would be. If you got to grill her, how did you do it? How do you, like, we'll get to this later on about what Tara West exactly is. But I was like, wow, like, if we know the Marcone from Battleground, if we knew that guy was already happening right now. Right. And already building to that point right now. And he'd had just the inkling about Tara West that Harry has right now. And then he got five minutes with her. Right. What would he have learned from that? Because that's like an amazing reverse of a spell that she did. And I was just thinking about that earlier on. Like, what would a Marcone with a Terra West have turned out like? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. He does hire a supernatural bodyguard in like six years from now. Which totally helps him. And I think is kind of Marcone's pivot in this whole entire story, right? Right. I think that is obviously what is his... Mm, uh, what's the word? Crux of it all, you know? Like... Yeah. If we could look His back arc. in time and see just exactly mm-hmm. what, yeah, what changed for Marcone. Yeah. But yeah, I think had he had Tara West earlier on in the books, things for him might have been a little bit, a different leg in the door. Still a leg in the door, yeah. but it would have gone a different way. Yeah, especially if he'd um, leaned on her instead of Harry, because Harry got his foot in a lot of doors eventually. True, working with true. Harry. I mean... Right off the bat, they kind of decided Marcone was their enemy and that they had to do everything to stop him. But what if they'd gone to him and been like, listen, you want to be a werewolf? <laughs> yeah. We yeah. can help you, bud. Like, if she'd given him Marcone what she gave the alphas, you know, and gone this different route, mm-hmm. what would that have been? Like, probably McFinn would still be alive. Yeah. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, we can start playing that game of what if this and what if that, what if this? this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So this chapter ends with Susan saying, yeah, I'm coming with you guys. Hmm. Yeah, she informs him that she's driving the van <laughs> because nobody else can. Right. And also doesn't she teases him that she doesn't want to miss the story. <laughs> There's a certain like 
end of this chapter too, where he's just like, everything else was precisely the same when talking about him and his double. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a little bit of a, a nod that you pick up in later books reading back now. It was just like, okay, you're right, Matt. This is a new, brand new Harry stepping onto the stage. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Hello, world. Like, he's finally, he's been knocked down, got his magic taken out of him, and he's been... I think this is the first time he actually does almost die in this book. Like, uh, the dangers in Stormfront weren't quite that... A lot of the time he wasn't the victim or the, uh, you know, target. There were a lot of points in Stormfront where he was definitely in a situation where he could be killed, but he never got in a situation where he is at their mercy and they could kill him at any time, like he did a few chapters ago in that warehouse. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very, very, very true. Comes very close to death a number of times throughout the whole book. It's very strange. Like, just lucks out, really. Totally. And again, like, just watching from this now and knowing where the books go, it is very nice to see this kind of time and time again when Harry basically always is at ground zero, or not ground zero, when he's always at... (laughs) Well, he's always um, at ground zero. Half the time he he is ground zero. zero. Everywhere he goes. (laughs) But I mean more when his power level, like he's Mm -hmm. always beaten down to nothing and he still continues to go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And I find like the climax of every book is kind of like right when he's at nothing. Like he's lost all of his friends or he's lost all of his spells or he's lost all of his powers. And that's kind of always where the crux of the book always happens. Is like that moment when Harry is at zero and nothing and doesn't have anything. And now let's go into the main... Right. Even right? then, he's usually going into the last fight with a fair amount of magic and burns through it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And he's yet, never he keeps fighting, and that's yeah. yeah, that's the big main part about him is that no matter what, he keeps going to the mm-hmm. fight anyways. Yeah, even from the beginning here, where he knows full well going into the fight, he doesn't have anything in the tank. Right. And there's also like back in Stormfront, he went in all alone. Like he was 100% completely alone there, mm-hmm. right? And I think that Stormfront kind of stands alone in that way, like. From here on out, Carrie kind of always has a team behind his back. And he goes through this whole, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. I can't let anyone get too close to me. I can't let anyone do this. And there's moments when he still has to do things alone. But for the most part, he kind of always has someone at his back, at least going into it. They might get separated or things might happen to cause them. But I find like Stormfront kind of stands alone when Harry is going into this big final boss fight alone, right? From here on out, he always has at least one person with him, right? Yeah, I think that's sort of the other big pivot moment for me where he becomes Harry Dresden because part of Harry Dresden is he's always got people at his back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just nice to see. Right. So that, uh, I think, brings us to chapter 28. Mm-hmm. All right. Unless you've got so, any other observations to make. No, just that uh, Susan worming her way into danger. I feel like that's going to cause a problem later on. <laughs> just a hunch. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> just a hunch. When does that ever happen? Someone inviting himself on a hairy quest and having things go awry. Never. What am I talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers for your generous support. It's people like you who help us keep doing what we're doing. If you're not yet a Patreon subscriber, sign up today and get a fuck ton of bonus content, kick-ass merch, behind-the-scenes outtakes, and more. Sign up today at patreon.com slash freeflowrambling. Chapter 28. Dresden makes it to Marcone's estate with Terra and the Alphas. 
Dresden makes it over the surrounding wall and waits for his pack. Unfortunately, something goes wrong, and Dresden finds himself alone. Chapter 28. How do they know where Marcone lives? Yeah. He had to summon a demon to find out about the Northwest Patches project. Something's probably very public, but he knows where the (laughs) very secretive gangster lives. Okay, but like when you're super rich, and it's like, well, there's one entire building made out of gold. (laughs) I wonder who lives here. It's Chicago. There's probably a lot of super rich people with buildings made out of gold. Yeah, fair enough. Still, though, I feel like it would be, you know, public record where Marcon lives. The cops would be very aware of that. Now, if he had, like, a secret base, that would make more sense. But he's got to have a public property, too, for people to know about. Right. <laughs> you know, or to show something. off his wealth for, you right? know, yeah. it's the status symbol. I mean, as we find out later on, everyone knows where the wraiths live, and there should be even more secretive, right. right? Yeah. There's a really great introduction for this chapter. I love the the. Every now and then, Jim Butcher throws in these like just really interesting descriptors. Uh, the moon rose in silver splendor into an October sky strewn with pale clouds and brilliant stars. The clouds churned, a white foam sea, and the moon was a vast, great, graceful clipper ship. Its sails full of spectral light as it ran before the strength of the cold autumn p- winds. Pale light bleached each of the uncut stones in the nine foot wall around gentleman johnny marcone's estate making edges sharper shadows blacker until it looked like a barrier made of gaping white skulls trees grew up thick on the other side of the wall blocking view into the interior though no branches extended far enough to provide a way to climb over it i just really liked that that gaping white skulls moment like Mm -hmm. here's a little foreshadowing into some (laughs) everything (laughs) some people are not going to make it out Mm mm-hmm Susan parks the van by Marcone's estate and stays with it. And Tara and the Alphas make their change into wolf forms. <laughs> so they make their way to the, the rear of the estate. Of course, there's the, the, the naked quip. <laughs> Jesus. This is a public street, guys. <laughs> Literally. Like, and, not, like, it probably isn't, like, in the middle of, you know, suburbia. But at the same time, like. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a chill. gated community. But right? still, everyone would have cameras then. <laughs> yeah, right. And that means the people out there are very likely to call the police. It, uh, extra true, yeah. So. I wonder if it would have been better if they had changed inside the van and then all jumped out? Like, like, like a dog walker. Even just like one at a time, there would have been the room for it. You know, like not all at once, sure. But yeah, yeah like a dog walker. Yeah, I don't know. Six bulls in the back of that van probably wouldn't have worked, but. Yeah, at least one at a time could have done it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think of the dramatics right yep nice little comedy moments mm-hmm. so we're, we're new with this right uh. and they're not even all naked when they come out they're trying to disrobe and what was it i think billy can't do it right he gets tangled up in his robe yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he pouts about it in wolf form <laughs> so <laughs> relatable <laughs> me if i were a werewolf yeah <laughs> I do like how he refers to the shape-shifting as a form of rudimentary magic, as if he's looking down his nose at it. I'm like, you can't do that, Harry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally fair. And he's got this moment, too, when he goes on about um, how everyone has these, keeps their human eyes. He's like, the Hexenwolf kept their human eyes. Mm-hmm. The Alphas are keeping their human eyes. Terra keeps their human eyes. 
Um, I don't remember if they mentioned McFinn's eyes, but his might be the only ones that change and go, you know, red mm-hmm. and evil or something to that effect. I don't know. But I like how it's like you can still tell just by looking at them. Yeah. It makes me more curious for later on as we meet animals. Because, you know, we'll meet more wizards as we go on and we know that right. we meet... Um, a few shapeshifters. A few shapeshifters as we go on who are open about it, right? So I'm like, oh, should we be, like, paying attention to animal eyes as we go on? <laughs> like, that dog or looks a little too human or something. Yeah. Or human eyes look like animals or... Yeah, right? I'm like, oh, I have to pay attention to these p- things' eyes as we go on now. I'm going to start being careful every time I pet a neighbor's dog. Yeah. <laughs> never tell. <laughs> it's going to be like one of those Peter Pettigrew situations. There you go. Yeah. Lives the family rat for a couple of decades until everything <laughs> settles down a little. Yep. As a quick aside, I don't know if either of you read Animorphs growing up, but mm-hmm. I did. I read the whole series, and every time every time I'm reading one of the chapters with the werewolves and they shapeshift into wolf form, I'm like, okay, start the two-hour timer clock. <laughs> <laughs> two hours are going to be stuck in wolf Any form forever. Any second now, yep. That's funny, too, because it always would be at the exact worst moment that you're back into a human. You're like, oh, clock struck yep. midnight. Whoops. It's like one of those Looney Tunes where they're suddenly like just st- realize that they're like, they lost all their feathers and they're standing naked on the stage and they have to like... Yep. <laughs> crawl off <laughs> or they're 600 feet in the air and their wings break yeah <laughs> suddenly they're not on a bridge yeah so they do crawl their way into the estate which seems way too easy as well like a get rich people put up a bunch of trees so nobody can see what you're doing and like mm-hmm. murdering on your own property like i get it but i still feel like there shouldn't be enough trees for them to all go huddle in them and be like okay What's I'm going to climb over the wall here. Nobody's going to suspect a thing in this rich area. Like, that's another thing. Like, are you in a gated community, rich housing, like, in Chicago, or are you in the middle of nowhere? Because starting to sound like he's in the middle of nowhere. But we know he's not. Like, they're still in Chicago. So that's why I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know Chicago very well. Maybe, you know, there isn't... I mean, not maybe. Marcone is so rich, I'm sure he could buy, like, 37 blocks. It's possible he owns every house around this perimeter, and they all belong yeah, to his guards. Like, that's totally fair to think. But at the same time, then they should do a better job <laughs> and be, like, policing these woods. <laughs> yep. There should be, like, trip wires before you get to the gate. <laughs> but anyways, that wouldn't be helpful. They, they, they did manage to make that uh, in it, as easy as it was, suspiciously, you're right. And uh, Tara goes off to find a safe passage over the wall if there is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so that we've got this fun moment with Billy... He tries to go on his own, but Dresden calls him back and begins this pep talk. <laughs> Only for the Love first time. Talk. Matt, this is this is for you, okay? Okay. <laughs> he, he feels, what did he call himself? I feel like Mr. Harry Dresden yeah. or something. Hello, class. Yeah. I've never once referred to my students as class. I've never once said well, hello, class, to them. What do you call them? People. Their names? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I learned them in, like, June. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just in time to congratulate them as they walk the stage and graduate. Yep. Yeah. And then it's like, wait really a minute, which one were you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it is so hard this year because we're all in person, but everybody's wearing masks, so I got to do it by half the face now. Oh, oh. yeah. So the pep talk. <laughs> I need to do like that. He tells them to be better than the FBI. Right. And, and, and he's like, they've lost control. They don't know. They're not handling it like you guys are. Like. Yeah. Damn, you've known these guys for like a day. Yeah. Don't let the power control you. Right, he's basically, yeah, it's almost like a subtle threat. Like, this will be you if you don't obey me. 
I did think the line was funny. He said, law enforcement people who have gotten hold of some magic that's as black as anything I've ever seen. I'm like, really? This is early on in your career, but blacker than the exploding heart spell? Right. <laughs> as black as what Justin just did to Elaine. turning into wolves, Harry. Right? They have a belt. Right. Yeah, and they're doing like it to Justin themselves. Dumourne. It's not even technically a, one of, a violation of one of the laws of magic. Justin Dumorn has literally st like stuck demons on you. Like. Right. <laughs> Justin Dumorn you know, violated <clears throat> two of the laws of magic that we know of and attempted to violate a third. Right. All and directly we know at you fact. and Elaine. <laughs> literally. It's okay, Harry. It could just be he's trying to impart to these werewolves that don't know any of that, that it's important. Yeah. Right. Through dramatic effect. You know, like how you tell a little kid that, like, saying the F word is the worst thing that they can do. Right. Okay, yeah. And then they grow up and they're like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> Tara returns and tells them that there's a way inside, but they'll have to make a run for it to make it on time. Dresden knows he's not able to make this run and opts to, to uh, be shoved over the wall again because it was fun the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. You think I'm running? Uh-uh. <laughs> Tara does at least disagree with him. Be like, no, wizard, you're, if you can't run with this, you shouldn't be alone. Yeah. <laughs> I like, too, that he's, or like, that Tara's like, well, my werewolves can't go back and forth between werewolf and human. Like, mm -hmm. once they're shifted, that's it. Like, it's got to stay that way. Like, it's too much power to go back and forth, back and forth, right. back and forth. Which is another fun little tidbit. And we see as the, they get powerful and more powerful. We can see that later in books that they can go back and forth. But it's nice that, yeah, early on, like, that's it for them. Like, it's a one-trick pony, yeah. even more so than it is already. Yeah. So. Shift and spent. Mm -hmm, right? All right. Let's wait. But even that, you know, maintaining it might not even be as hard as the actual change itself. Like, once they're it, like you said in the Animorphs, like, they don't have a two-hour time limit. Like, if they shift, they seem to be fine enough to stay in that shape yeah, as they long are as wolves. they want to, right? They yeah. are wolves, right? So at least maintaining it yeah. isn't like this concentration like it would be for Harry doing another spell, you know? Right. It seems to be like once you've done the shift, it's kind of an inherent thing. Because I think we see in later books, they try to cross a threshold and do other things that would interfere with magic and doesn't seem to bother their wolf form. Mm-hmm, Like yes. you can't just run running water over them and they'll melt back to human. It's not a layer of ectoplasm that they're holding onto over them. Yes. They just are so wolves. This is an especially cool detail that makes them stand out from the other versions of werewolves as well, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, essentially once they're changed, they're changed. They are wolves, much more intelligent because they've got human right. intelligence thought going on in there. And he says too that like sometimes you've got a little bit of that animalistic extra right. going on, but that the alphas for the most part maintain humanity during the shift, but that the shift is kind of a forever thing until they don't want it to be. So it seems to be most of the magic is just in the going back and forth, which is cool. Yep. Which... um. The interesting uh, discussion I had a while back with someone was, like, if they kill somebody as their wolf form, if they use their fangs to kill somebody, is that a first law violation? Because mm. technically they're using magic. magic? They, yeah. Ooh. But. So if they just are the wolves. Hand, on the other hand, the White Council doesn't consider the street wolves to be human. So mm -hmm. can they violate it if they're not human? Yeah. It's a good like question. can... A fairy violate one of the laws of magic? No, they can't. They're not a human. And the rules exist for humans wielding magic, right? right. So if the White Council doesn't consider them to be human themselves, yeah. I think Although it'd be one of those things where like, you'd really need to bring a good lawyer with you to your right. execution case with yeah. the White Council. <laughs> yeah. There'd be a lot of um, 
I mean, as we've had this conversation before, and we kind of don't agree with the White Council's bullshit definition of who is and who isn't a human right. and who is and who isn't. I think it'd be one of those things where it's like, ooh, in this case, we're really going to use the words that you set up because it works for us, but normally you're a douche. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so Harry does eventually convince um, Tara and the werewolves to go through the broken down wall. Mr. Rich Guy Marcone and his crumbling <laughs> yes. wall at the edge of the property. Oh, duh, duh. Yeah. As we said before, this is way too easy. Like, Yeah. How, why? How convenient. Like, right. the only thing I can think of is, like, Marcone intentionally let that wall crumble for Which this purpose. exactly. Right? Like, there's no one in the woods. There's no tripwires. There's enough space for yeah. them to huddle up. Nobody cared, a bunch about it. Nobody cared about a bunch of naked teenagers standing on the street. And now there's a conveniently placed crumbling wall. Like, yeah. it's With not no that it's just too it. easy. With no cameras looking at it. 100%, it feels like if that right? like, was the case, that Marcon would have confirmed it at some point, but... And yet, <laughs> as we see in the book goes by, like, I almost feel like it was meant to be anyways, because... Mm-hmm. Well, not meant to be, like, for Harry's side, but meant to be for Marcon's side, because as right. you go through these books and you see how it is, it's like, I mean, when you're reading... You would have gotten through this chapter so fast. Like, this is a very short chapter. This is, like, mm-hmm. maybe five to seven minutes of reading, right? All of this, like, oh, wow, that was so easy. Might not have jumped at you quite as quickly because you're just, like, you're, like, speed reading to the big fight, right? And right now, as we're breaking it down, we're like, oh, that's convenient. Oh, that's convenient. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I feel like, yeah, this guy has guards patrolling, cameras everywhere, enough money to fix any, like, out-of-place leaf in the world. And there's a bit of a crumbling wall at the back of his property that nobody has seen and mentioned for a while. Right. I don't buy it. And we see as the end of this chapter goes, his backup doesn't revi- doesn't show up for whatever reason. So... Right. Yeah, I kind of think, you know, maybe Marcone doesn't confirm it to us because he doesn't need to. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Dresden does have enough magic to hex the cameras, which is... Uh, and just barely. A comfort to him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, thank God, at least there's something. Because calls it aneurysm-causing magic. Like, he's like, ooh, that hurt to do, but I can still do it. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd be messing around with something that could have caused me an aneurysm. Like, right. people with strokes don't watch super violently flashy videos because it's really cool <laughs> video. Let me just see if maybe this time it's all right. <laughs> yeah, but he's hairy. I know. If he was careful when it counted, he wouldn't. we wouldn't have books. <laughs> Fair enough. It's one of those moments too, where it's like, oh, if I die doing this, tell my family it was something cooler than it was. Yeah. And Harry's always like, doesn't matter when I die, it'll always be cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, Live your life for your tombstone. <laughs> for your epitaph. <laughs> Next book. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Shh. We'll get there. <laughs> I feel, I know this is jumping a lot, but I feel like that tombstone was almost kind of mean, because it's like, then he had no choice but to do it. <laughs> like, oh, if I die now not following this, like, oh, let me switch sides for like a minute. <laughs> so, he gets over the wall, it's really dark, he's crouching, he's hiding, he's waiting. Waiting. Nothing. Counts to 100, and realizes something has gone wrong, and that he is alone. Something had gone wrong. Because we're totally surprised at that, aren't we? Shocked. At the inconvenient. Again, reading this book or uh, talking about this chapter is like, oh, that's so convenient. That's so convenient. That's so convenient. But when you're, I mean, even for me, when I was just, I listened mm-hmm. to this chapter on uh, audiobook. And like, there was a moment, yeah, when he says, he's like, something had gone wrong. I was alone. I was like, ooh, chills. I've read this before and I know what happens, but ooh. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, Jim Butcher's writing is really good that way. You can read these books a hundred times, and even if you know what's happening, it's still great to get there. It is, yeah. totally. It's got great setups. Totally. Mm-hmm. And, like, part of the way that we do this podcast is, like, we can only ever cover so many chapters at once, or we'll never stop talking, and we'll, you know, never finish an episode. But I find that sometimes these books, or these episodes, really do just end on a natural cliffhanger. I'm like, thanks, Jim Butcher, for putting a cliffhanger, like, every two chapters. Like, that's really yep. convenient for us. <laughs> it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think about, like, I, I, we've said this before, like, the original cliffhanger um, got its name because Thomas Hardy's A Pair of Blue Eyes. So way back when, when they used to publish books, it was obviously very expensive because you had to get in a printing press and you had to distribute it everywhere, right? So mm-hmm. the way they used to do it was they'd publish things chapter by chapter and then distribute them. And by the time the whole country had, like, managed to receive this chapter, then they'd start, pu- the second one had been written and it had started to get passed around mm-hmm. as well. So it was Thomas Hardy's chapter that literally ended with a character hanging on the edge of a cliff. And then people had to wait months for this second chapter to be finally passed around the country for everyone to see what happened to him. And that's where we got the term cliffhanger from. It's because the character okay. was literally hanging on the edge of a cliff and had to wait. So it's almost like a TV show, right? Where right. something really bad happens and you're on a cliffhanger and you're waiting forever to see what happens. Yep. So yeah, so sometimes, yep. you know, Harry's books, there's always like 37 cliffhangers. And you get to read immediately <laughs> what happens when you turn the page, but it's still always like... Oh, he's hanging on the edge of a cliff again. Well, until the cliffhanger's at the end of the book. Right, right. Which, you know, these early books, for the most part, we get 95% of a wrap-up. There's always a little bit of background stuff still going on, but you're generally very satisfied. It's later on books when you're like, Come on, where's the next one? You didn't even answer anything. I know (laughs) people have a really big issue with peace talks, right? They're Mm -hmm. like, well, this basically didn't cover anything. I'm like, technically, he set out and did what he meant to do in peace talks. Yeah. His, like, no spoilers, but he went out to do, like, his goal had to do with Thomas, and he finished his goal with Thomas. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole book. That's what he meant to do in that book, right? Yep. But because there was so much that started in that book and was left unresolved, people were like, you didn't even finish anything. And it's like, technically, he did. There was just 37 background things going on as well. Yep. But anyways, nice quick chapter. Uh Harry, you're on your own. Again. But you did have a teamwork. You had friends for about a minute. You tried. You tried. You tried. Yes. This concludes our episode 5.13, Dressed for Success. A huge thank you to Matt for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. It was fun. You can find him on social media as at Stellar Hughes or on his game design socials at Space Mole Games, both of which are tagged on our pages. Thank you so much. And a big thank you to our listeners. You can find us online at freeflowrambling.com and machinalis.ca. There we have links to our other podcasts, social media, and other fun tidbits. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing, and please consider supporting us through Patreon to keep the magic alive and to see more content. We are Free Flow Rambling. Conjure at it by your own risk.